White Rocket Entertainment. A quick note before we get started here. This episode audio was taken from a live video show that I did on the White Rocket TV channel on YouTube a couple of days ago. So in a couple of instances, it sounds like I'm referring to visual things because I am. So if you want to see the show in its entirety, but with some of the bad audio still left in because I can't really edit it on YouTube, go to White Rocket TV on YouTube and you can see the whole thing and you can see my little banners running across the bottom and all that. Otherwise, just stay tuned and you'll get the audio of me counting down and explaining my 30 favorite shows of the last decade. 10, 9, 8, 7, ignition sequence started, all engines are started. We have ignition, 2, 1, 0, we have a liftoff. We have a liftoff and it's lighting up the area. It's just like daylight here at Kennedy Space Center. The second five is moving off the pad. It is now clear to the top. Welcome to the White Rocket Podcast, brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment, in association with all of our great supporters via Patreon.com. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I am here solo today in a rare solo appearance on the show. What we're going to be doing here is I'm going to be counting down my 30 favorite TV shows, shows, miniseries, streaming, whatever, uh, that I've seen beginning in 2010, all the way up through right now. And some people have questioned, well, if it started before 2010, does it count? I'm counting anything that aired at least at some point first run during this decade. So if it started in 2005 and it was still on in 2011, I'm counting it. Okay. So we've got a lot to get through and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing any comments and questions as we go along. And so let me go ahead. We're going to take them by sets of five. My And I posted on Twitter earlier my 21 through 30 and already started getting some feedback on that because, of course, everybody's got a different opinion. That's what's great about life. And so we can talk about why these are where they are. I wish I had a way to graphically put them up on the screen, but I'm not that sophisticated yet. Uh, Well, actually, you know what I do? You know what I do? I I forgot. I've got I've got that technology. So. There's a way to do, oh, yeah, we got to scroll across the bottom. Oh, that'll work. Okay, so let me see. So number 30 is Sherlock. Uh, This is a show that I thought, based on the very first episode, was great. Uh, I believe the very first episode was called uh, A Study in Pink, which showed us a couple of things. One, that it was moved forward into the modern day. And and by the way, one of the things that was cool about that, I'm not going to go in depth on all of them, but I'll mention a few things worth noting as we go along. I like the idea that it showed how long the Western countries have been fighting in Afghanistan, because in the original Sherlock Holmes stories, uh, Dr. Watson had a leg injury or it moved around a little bit in the stories. That's part of the charm of the old uh, Arthur Conan Doyle stories. He had an injury he sustained in the military in Afghanistan, late 1800s. And in the new show set contemporarily, he had an injury in the military in Afghanistan. So... Uh, yeah, we can't seem to get out of Afghanistan, huh? So the thing I liked about a study in pink, not only did it set it, you know, contemporarily, and we had these two great actors playing the leads, but, uh, it showed that they were going to take the old stories and tweak them a little bit. So instead of a study in scarlet, we got a study in pink and I appreciated that about it. 
The reason it's all the way down at 30 is because I have never seen a show that more precipitously started at like an A++++ 10 out of 10 and just went like this. And then by the end, I mean, so the quality of that show, it, it, it quit being so much about solving mysteries and became much more about his personality and his relationship with Watson and everything. And if that's a portion of it, that's okay. But when it became the whole show almost, you know, that he has mental issues, almost like um, it almost turned into the Big Bang Theory, if you know what I mean. And that at that point, that's not what I was there for. Okay, so that's Sherlock. Uh, Boardwalk Empire was a great show. Another one that kind of declined as it went along, the main character disappeared from the show after just like the first couple of seasons, not, not the Steve Buscemi, but the other guy. And um, it sort of just, to me began treading water. It's been a long time. It just, it ended up not being one of my favorite HBO shows. Uh, number 28 is Star Trek Discovery. The fact that Star Trek Discovery is in my top 30 is interesting because so many people had it maybe in their top 30 worst shows. And I'm not a huge Star Trek fan post 60s okay as a little kid in the 70s i watched the original series with william shatner leonard nimoy and deforest kelly and i loved that show i haven't loved anything at all star trek has done since then other than maybe the first you know couple of movies the original ones so this was my most enjoyable star trek experience since wrath of khan honestly because it tried to do new things it took advantage of being on streaming platform. It it continued Star Trek's uh, tradition of being kind of edgy and being social commentary and everything, which I give thumbs up to. That's what that's one of the things Star Trek exists for is to it's a mirror on our own times, right? The best Star Trek episodes reflected race relations and Vietnam and all that kind of stuff. And that's what Discovery does, but with other issues, of course, today. And plus, I just really, I love Michelle Yeoh and her, the multiple characters that she's played. I always said I wanted James Purifoy to play a dictatorial Star Trek captain. If I couldn't have James Purifoy, then having Jason Isaac was the next best thing because he's almost James Purifoy. So there's a lot about Star Trek Discovery I really enjoyed. And I thought particularly... The things that I didn't like as much in the first season, they addressed in the second season. So between the two, you have a really good... There's there's things in both seasons I didn't care for, but between the two, I think you have a really good show. So that's why Star Trek Discovery is 28. The Mindy Project, I'll just say this. The one credit... I, I really mainly watched it because my wife wanted to see it. I wasn't too familiar with Mindy Kaling to begin with. But here's the thing I observed watching it for several seasons and why I would rank it in my top 30. I've rarely, if ever, seen a situation comedy that reinvented itself constantly. I mean, they, they kept the same setting and that she was a doctor and whatever, but the supporting cast like constantly changed in and out. And I, and I got the impression, and I tweeted a little bit with Mindy Kaling about this, I got the impression that she was always just trying to keep the show fresh. It, it, you know, It wasn't that she was losing actors and having to go find somebody else. It was that she was constantly having to go and come up with new ways to keep it fresh and keep it moving. And, and it did that. And so it never was boring from start to finish. It may not be your thing, right? But what was funny was that her character was not 
it wasn't about her being a, you know, a second or third generation, whatever, I can't remember now, uh, from an immigrant family so much as it was about Mindy Kaling just having funny habits and being kind of dense about some things, you know, not understanding politics or whatever. And just, you know, I like that she wrote her own character that way. That was pretty cool. So I give her credit. Okay. Last one, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. The energy of that show, this is another one I watched mainly because my wife was interested, but the energy of that show, uh, Titus on it is hilarious. The the African-American actor that's uh, mus- musically inclined and everything, he is hilarious on it. Has a great ca- Carol Kane, the incomparable Carol Kane is like the landlady. There are just so many, um, uh, the blonde headed actress from 30 Rock is on there and she's hilarious too. So it's a show filled with people who are overly self-important and then John Ham, this is amazing, right? The setup. John Ham was a cult leader who had Kimmy and two other, two or three other women called the Mole Women held prisoner basically in an underground shelter, telling them the world had ended. And so when they escaped, she's come out into this modern New York City and has no idea. You know, she's been living like a, like basically the equivalent of like uh, the women on, um, Big love, you know, the, the, the cult women, the out, you know, the, the ones that not the Mormons, but the ones in the camp, you know, the, in the compound where they're held isolated from the world, you know? And, um, and so she's has just this, this wide eyed, um, reaction to everything she sees, which is, uh, priceless. So, all right. So those are the bottom five of the top 30. So now, now we get to, we get to numbers. I wish I had a better way to do this. Let's see. So we get to 21 through 25. Let's see. How did I do it before backwards? All right. So let's go. So 25 is Better Call Saul. 24 is Mad Men with John Hamm from St. Louis. We're proud of him around here. 23 is Poldark, which tumbled very far down in these rankings. It should have been in the top 10, but it did not end up that way. We'll talk about why. 22 is Difficult People with Billy Eichner. I'm going to say that name now before I forget, because obviously you guys know I'll forget. And 21 is Altered Carbon. So let's put them up on the ticker. Boom. All right. So number 25, Better Call Saul. There's not a lot I can say about this show. This was um, the spinoff of uh, Breaking Bad, but Saul is such a great character and played so well by another Illinoisian that... um, that uh, I had to give it a try and it's a different show with a different, uh, but I think that part of the appeal of it is you have Saul, but you also have Michael McKeon's character as his brother. And then you have um, um, the lady who's kind of Saul's girlfriend. And so even though you know where everything is ultimately going to end up, if you watch breaking bad, it's really interesting to watch. See, I want to say his descent into being that character, but honestly, uh, it's very up and down. I'm, I'm about a season behind on it, but the first, I think two seasons that I've seen, I really, really enjoyed. And I particularly enjoyed Michael McKean as his brother who thinks he's allergic to electricity. And so he wears a space blanket, a silver blanket and doesn't go into the office or whatever as a legendary lawyer, but he can't go into the office. And they do a lot of interesting stuff with that. So better call Saul. Again, if you know about the show, you know what I mean? Uh, 24 mad men, um, again, this is a show that should have been higher and the earlier seasons I really did enjoy more, but by the end, it was just sort of spinning its wheels. Honestly, I felt like, and I don't think we ever even finished the last couple of episodes. It just got to where, you know, John Hamm 
was always kind of a lovable rogue on it, but by the end he was just a rogue and they had killed off a couple of the interesting characters and you know the the charm of the early mid 60s had given way to like the the early 70s and it was just like eh. so i really enjoyed the show for a while but i i didn't like how it ended up 23 is poldark and this is a wonderful show with aiden turner who i hope is the next james bond and um it should have been higher because the first couple of seasons particularly were really good really strong this is a pbs show comes over on on masterpiece from britain but um it's the story of a, a former British soldier in the revolution who has a mine in Cornwall. And it's really a, a, a conflict between him and an up, upstart, wealthy, not really an aristocrat, but thinks he is. And by the end of the show, they were both in parliament and it turned into political thing. And uh, Dr. Innes and his wife and the dog are cool. But other than that, it just there's only so much you can do with this character and it was starting to get old. So the last season, in fact, it wasn't even based on books or anything. And so um, it was sort of made up and it had kind of that game of Thrones effect where they just start like making stuff up to kind of make it all come to an ending. And uh, so good show, but not a great ending. You find a lot of those in the bottom 10 here where it started out good, but something happens along the way that causes it to drop down in my bottom 10. Difficult People, Billy Eichner's show with the redheaded lady that's really funny. The two of them, she writes recaps for TV shows, and he is, I'm not exactly sure, he, he, he works at a diner, and he does different things. And it's called Difficult People because they are just like this modern New York, they're not a couple, but they're friends, and they just are snarky about everything. They just observe, they feel like, you know, it's their place in life to just walk around and, you know, snark on and and criticize everybody around them but they're so likable that even though you hate the way they're being it's hilarious and so i and they're very both very good comedic actors so uh that's why i have it at 22 21 is altered carbon it's been so long since i've seen this miniseries but it's one of those rare science fiction miniseries on television that i think is done really really well it comes from a book but it has a lot of blade runner to it and it's got james purifoy which pulled me in originally um, it's, it's an interesting show about identity and changing identity. And it's sort of that near future Blade Runner style deal. And I just found it very, very enjoyable. So I would recommend it if you like, like the real, you know, that kind of deep science fiction, not like super high tech, but like speculative, what would happen in society if this kind of technology came along, you know, cloning type stuff and all that. So I recommend it. All right. So that was... 25 through 21. And now we are to 16 through 20. So number 20, and this ended up higher than I thought it would be. 20 is Fleabag. 19 is the show that because I pronounced the title right, I'm going to get like an explicit rating. S-C-H-I-T-T apostrophe S Creek. Okay. 18 is The Righteous Gemstones. I like uh, all of those shows that that actor does, but uh, this one I thought was particularly good. And we'll talk, we, Vice Principals was okay. Uh, and then 17, Veep. And 16, The Expanse. There you go. All right. So let's look at them. Fleabag at number 20. Fleabag is a show that, um, I thought I would like more than I did. It got all the acclaim. People just seemed to love it. Won all the awards at the Emmys last year. 
And I do think the actress was great. She wrote it. She starred in it. She's fantastic. It just, I didn't love the second season. People were like, the second season is just so much better. I thought the first season actually was better when we were getting to know her a little bit. The second season, it became more about her relationship with the priest. And I didn't care that much. And so, but she and her sister, I thought were fascinating. And so uh, I, I have it as high as I do, just because I recognize the quality of um, of of the writing and the acting. It is an interesting show. The Creek at number twenty at number nineteen, because um, I don't want an explicit tag on this show. They won't know that's what I'm saying is S C H I T T apostrophe S Creek. Um, you know, you gotta love Eugene Levy, and his son is just an absolute revelation in this show. As um, plays his son on the show, and of course, Andrea, um, not Andrea Martin, but uh, um, his wife on the show. Another, these are, you know, two, Eugene Levy, um, these are SCTV veterans. Um, <laughs> that's a good comment from Brian, uh, who says, yearly reminder, I need to get a Cinnabon. Yeah, that's better call Saul, I guess. Um, so, um, but yeah, The Creek, it started out kind of okay as like a sitcom but um over time though it really becomes a strong character show slash comedy and every season they add layers of depth to that family and their supporting cast and it really i mean it almost becomes a drama in a way with absurdist comedic overtones around it and eugene levy is just so great you know uh, and Catherine o'hara is his wife these are sctv veterans they've been in you know the movies with um you know, those great movies like uh, um, Best in Show and um, Waiting for Guffman, Spinal Tap, that whole crew, the, um, the, the ones with Michael McKeon and so forth. I mean, they, are, they, are, they know what they're doing. And so you get a very quality show there. Number 18, The Righteous Gemstones. Well, again, um, in fact, let me look up because I want to make sure I, I want to make sure that I uh, name the actor correctly. Danny McBride, yeah. Danny McBride, along with the incomparable, the fantastic um, Walton Goggins. I mean, yeah, I'll watch anything with Walton Goggins. In fact, here's proof I'll watch anything with Walton Goggins in it. I watched the first few episodes of The Unicorn, which is a sweet, gentle, mild-mannered family sitcom starring Walton Goggins. <laughs> You know, you, you, I associate him with The Shield, with uh, Justified, with uh, Quentin Tarantino movies where he's the loudmouth Southern racist, you know. And to see him on The Unicorn as a mild-mannered dad giving these sweet lessons about his daughters and his friends and everything is just – I'm glad he's that – he's a diverse actor, right? He's incredibly capable. But on the but it's just a weird thing. But on the Righteous Gemstones, um, and of course uh, John Goodman as the dad, and um, Edie Patterson as the sister. Oh man, it's a great, great show. The Righteous Gemstones. It parodies televangelists. Um, the musical numbers and everything are fantastic, and uh, it's absolutely worth your time. It's a mini series. I don't I don't know if there's going to be another season of it. They did a couple of three seasons of uh, of Vice Principals. That's what McBride tends to do is he comes up with these high concepts like, you know, two vice principals battling over control of a high school or, you know, a televangelist family uh, being blackmailed. 
and he spins it into like two, three seasons of TV show. And then once he gets it done, he, he's done and he comes up with a new idea. So Danny McBride is hilarious. And I give uh, the gemstones my full endorsement. Number 17 is Veep. Now, Veep is a show. Veep is a show I did not care that much for the first few years. I watched it, mainly because I was waiting for Silicon Valley to come on after it, uh, which is previewing what's coming up in a minute. But that was because I thought the first couple of seasons of Veep, it was really more about insult comedy. And it, it stayed insult comedy all the way to the end. But the first few seasons, it was almost entirely about the actors on there coming up with really creative ways to insult each other profanely. And that only goes so far, you know, but by like the last two or three seasons uh, with a new showrunner, I believe it became a very, very brilliant, caustic satire of contemporary politics and society. And particularly, I mean, there's no character that illustrates that better than Jonah. Okay. Jonah was the big, tall, gangly, you know, Herman Munster looking guy who in the first few seasons was just kind of like an intern or a staffer who lurked around the White House or the or wherever, you know, um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character was. But in the last couple of seasons, they had him like run for Congress and then run for president. And he was just this guy that, you know, he would say the most outrageous things and people would love it. And what it really showed was no matter how outrageous you get in politics, there will always be a constituency that thinks you're a genius for having that view, right? So, um I appreciated Veep a lot, particularly in its last season, because of that. All right, number 16 is The Expanse. Now, some would say, you had this at number 16. Why at 16? I'm surprised, right? This show should be, you know, it's a a serious, well-done, mature science fiction drama. Um, Why don't you have it higher? And the reason why is because it's so dense. There's not a lot of joy to it. There's not a lot of fun. It's just a very... It's a semi-dark, dry, it it can be very confusing. There's so much going on in it. There's so many characters. There's so many sides. Uh, there's so many supporting characters and subplots and sub-subplots. There's not a lot of time you feel really good watching it. You're watching it to find out what happens and because maybe you care about the characters. But on balance, I'm, I'm, I have it right here at about the midway point of my top 30 because half of the expanse leaves me depressed and cold and half of the expanse leaves me excited and wanting to know what comes next. So it's very much in the balance with me. I'm looking forward to watching the new season on Amazon. It's now that it's moved from sci-fi channel, but um, I haven't started it yet. And the fact that I haven't felt compelled to start it yet says a lot about how I do like it to a certain degree, but not completely. So we'll see what the new, because the new season is supposed to represent a real uh, change in direction for it. So we will see. All right. So that gets us to the halfway point. All right. And it's, it's one So we're right on time. So number 15, let's put the scrolly up for the, for the next five. Number 15 is Outlander, a show I probably wouldn't watch without my wife, even though it is produced to showrunner is the Battlestar Galactica showrunner, uh, Ronald Moore. Uh, that probably has something to do with me, me liking it. Number 14, Godless. This is another miniseries. I think it was on Netflix. Maybe Netflix, maybe Amazon, maybe uh, HBO, but I think I think Netflix. A Western. More about that coming. Number 13 is 
one of my favorite sitcoms, though not my favorite of this of the decade, for reasons that will become apparent, Silicon Valley on HBO. Uh, ahead of it are two more sitcoms, and I'm not a big comedy guy, honestly. But the next one up is 30 Rock. And then at number 11 is another sitcom. They all kind of wound up together here. Parks and Recreation, which is the highest rated, I believe, of all of the sitcoms. So on my list. So that means that Parks and Recreation is my number one sitcom. Yeah. Of the decade. Okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. So let's start with number 15, Outlander. If you don't know, Outlander, again, produced and show run by Ronald D. Moore that did Biostar Galactica, the new Biostar Galactica, among other things. This is based on a series of humongous, humongous novels uh, by Diana Gabaldon, I believe. My wife reads the books and my mother-in-law reads the books and they know way more about it than I do. But uh, the basic premise is World War II era British nurse who is Katrina Balfi. She get she goes through a, a time portal accidentally and ends up in medieval or I guess early modern Scotland, um, probably around the seven, yeah, the mid-1700s. And she thinks she's trapped there forever and she falls in love with a Scottish uh, dude who is um who is awesome and would I think would be a great Dirk Struan if they ever remade a good version of uh of Taipan. So you get a lot of her in medieval Scot, I mean, uh, 18th century Scotland and you get stuff in modern day and it kind of spins out from there. No spoilers, but it's a very well done show. It's got some romance novel ish aspects to it. It's got some stuff that kind of, you know, much like certain things in maybe season five of game of Thrones, it's got some stuff that I was kind of like, mm, don't need to see that. And, you know, pretty much once per episode, you get the big Scottish dude, you know, butt naked running around with her, but uh, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a primarily romance novel ish show, but I appreciate the historical aspects of it, the time travel, sci-fi aspects of it and the character aspects. Got a lot of good character aspects that I think are really good. So that's why I have Outlander at 15. It's pretty well done show. And I am looking forward to it coming back soon. Number 14 is godless. This is a show. The setup is very simple. Um, there's a town in the old West where all the men got killed in like a mining disaster and the women are running the town and they're doing a very fine job until a bunch of outlaw men show up to take over. And uh, it turns into kind of this classic Western with the one good guy against the outlaw gang, but with this twist that the women are having to defend their town. And some of them, are like, oh, let's just trust the first man that comes along. And the others are like, no, we're not trusting any men anymore. You know, and you get that conflict. So there's a lot going on in it. But at the core, it's a really good traditional Western story. And I recommend it highly. Um, that's number 14. Number 13 is Silicon Valley. I, mean, I, have to, I have to keep wildly changing channels literally right on these. So it, I have to, okay, so Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is one of my all-time favorite uh, sitcoms. We're up to number 13. Uh, the, the, the problem, uh, hold on, restart this. There we go. Okay. So as I was saying, maybe I moved around too much. The problem with Silicon Valley, such as it is that it's not my favorite sitcom of the decade. It's, it's, it's just below, just, just above halfway here is that, um, there were a number of characters I just didn't like, and they got a lot of screen time and, um, there were a lot of plot lines I didn't like. And by the end, it had become very repetitive. In fact, you know, Mike Judge, one of the creators, 
he said that one of the reasons they brought the show to an end this year is they felt like they were starting that there were only they said there were only so many times that they could you know get Pied Piper in trouble and have him come up with some miraculous way out and then get him in trouble again and have some miraculous way to get him out and so they brought it to a nice ending with the with the obligatory ten years later thing and that was cool but I loved I think that the things I loved best about Silicon Valley that I want to mention one is um, the relationship between uh, Gilfoyle and Dinesh is awesome. And I love Gilfoyle. He was easily my favorite character on there. I love Big Head. I love Dinesh. I love Gilfoyle. And I love uh, Jin Yang. Those were my favorite characters. The whole, you know, the Hooli thing with with Gavin Belson, I could just, I mean, I know they needed an adversary, but I didn't. And I love the actor. I think that the dude that played Gavin Belson is great. I've seen him. He was in Big Love, you know, and he's been in other things. And I like him. I just, I found Gavin Belson's character very tiresome, you know. He's just so predictable. Um, but um, but uh, but I did enjoy the main cast, and uh, I'm going to miss that show. You know, the again, Botten Ehrlich, eh, and uh, Monica, eh, ev- honestly, even Richard. Eh, but the other the others were great, and it's uh, it's just a very smart comedy. They would always find ways to crack me up to come up with something unexpected. So I really really appreciated um, the smarts behind Silicon Valley. It's just there was a lot about it that annoyed me, and so it only gets to 13. Number 12 is 30 Rock, because this is, in my opinion, a slightly better sitcom. Um, the cast is great, and um, they. what I really appreciated about 30 Rock was that they always found clever and creative ways to be almost surreal, right? I mean, it's supposed to be at its core, it's a show about a writer's room at an NBC TV show. But it, it almost got like the Simpsons in that it would become beyond that, right? It would get into this surreal thing. Tracy Morgan's fantastic as the uh, the big actor that's on there. You know, I forget the character he plays. Um, but uh, the whole cast is great. And it doesn't have any of that negative stuff that Silicon Valley brought as baggage. And so... I really enjoyed it. I love the absurdity of it. It's I never would have guessed that a show about writers at a TV show would turn into basically, like I say, this sort of surreal existentialist fantasy. But it did, and it did it well, and it was good. Um, but the highest-ranked sitcom for the decade for me is Parks and Recreation because it combined things I liked about the other two shows, the other two sitcoms, in a in a way that's that's different. Parks and Recreation it wore its heart on its sleeve, right? It was just good. This was a show that just, that just stressed, honestly stressed being good and sincerity. I mean, Leslie Nope as a character, you know, she starts out kind of weird, but they, it, that everybody knows, right? If you know anything about parks and recreation, besides Nick Offerman being hilarious, one of the things about parks and recreation was that the first season, they really didn't know what they were doing and they were figuring it out. But once you get past that and the cast changes a little bit and they understand the characters and what they're trying to do, it's brilliant. It's a sitcom where you actively root for the main characters to succeed. And that's pretty rare um, it, that, that you actually like it's a drama, you know, and you're wanting them to succeed in the in the adventure, in the story. And yet it's a silly little comedy. But the supporting cast in some ways is even better than 30 Rock. Uh, this is where, um, you know, Star-Lord basically started out. And uh, you have Grumpy Cat as his girlfriend, um, Aubrey Plaza, and um, 
it just there's nothing really bad that I can say. Um, and Rashida Jones is great, and and then the um, the other. I mean, it's just a it's just a fun, nice, good hearted, right? Just good hearted, optimistic show, and that's why it's my highest rated. And it's and it's funny. I mean, that's probably the most important thing for a sitcom is it's funny. Okay, that gets us to the top ten. Now, let me just, I'm not going to do the whole thing here, um, but I, let me just point out that if you want to support the various shows that White Rocket does, go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net, uh, or just go to patreon.com and search for White Rocket or Plexico and um, sign up for as little as a dollar a month. We mentioned our... Uh, we mention all of our uh, patrons and supporters in every episode, and we're constantly doing new stuff just for you guys. So, and we appreciate your support. So, www.plexico.net. All right, number ten on my list. We are in the top ten, folks. This is it. Number ten is Downton Abbey. Woohoo, Downton Abbey! Got a lot of uh, sound clips from that show over the years for the soundboard in AU Wishbone podcast. Number nine, and this one was was very controversial among my sci-fi brethren. Um, number nine is Stargate Universe. Now, well, we'll get to it. But people were wondering, how can you have Stargate Universe be uh, considered a good show? Well, I think the only people that, that watch Stargate Universe and don't consider it a good show are hardcore Stargate fans already, and they didn't like a different show going in a different direction. It's like, it really has more in common with Battlestar Galactica than it does with with uh, Stargate, and I understand that, but I like that about it. More coming in just a second. Number eight, this may be one of the oldest shows on the list, is Terriers. I bet some of you don't even know what Terriers is, and I don't blame you, so because it only ran for one year, but we're going to talk about it in just a second. Number seven is Stranger Things, and I think that speaks for itself. You understand why uh, Stranger Things would be in my top 10 who doesn't love stranger things and number six is breaking bad Woo! that means there are five shows that aired in the last decade that i liked better than breaking bad that's strong isn't it all right so let's break them down all right number 10 doubt nabby let me get a drink first all right here we go um hope i haven't missed any comments nope okay number 10 doubt nabby why, why uh, Downton Abbey is a top 10 show. No doubt about it. D- Downton Abbey has to be a top 10 show and probably would have been a little higher than this, except it's just not exactly my thing. Right. I mean, it has some good semi, you know, historical aspects to it. It does give you a good understanding of, of um, the decline of the aristocratic class in Britain in the early 20th century and why, you know, at the end of the 19th century, there were houses like Downton Abbey, those big palatial estates, they were all over Britain. And within just a few decades, there's like less, there's fewer than 10 of them left. They're, they're mostly gone. Uh, an interesting book to read that goes into this a little bit would be Bill Bryson's At Home. Bill Bryson's great books talk about all kind of cool things, but At Home gets into, uh, there's a, at least one chapter that gets into the demise of the great British um, estates and aristocratic families. This is, in this case, the Crowleys. Um, so Downton Abbey, the reason I have it all the way down to number 10, again, is because it's a British period costume drama, not my favorite thing. But the reason I have it 
in my top 10 is because it's so good. It's so well written. It looks great. Uh, the characters, the actors, everything about it. If you haven't watched Downton Abbey, uh, at least check out the first episode. It's, um, it's two shows at once. It's the, it's what the what the aristocratic family upstairs, you know, it's upstairs, downstairs, right? It's what they're doing upstairs and it's what the servants area downstairs. And then there's that interaction, that interaction between the two levels. Okay. And it's fascinating. And it's, it's got funny bits like, um, the, the, the dowager. I mean, you can go on YouTube right now and just go on YouTube and search for the dowager Downton Abbey. And there's just montage after montage of funny things that she has said in all the seasons of Downton Abbey. And then the movie just came out a couple of months ago and the movie was, was excellent. It was like a really extended big budget version of the show, which is what you'd expect. So, uh, and a great capper to it. So I thoroughly recommend, um, Downton Abbey mm, and great cast. Number nine is Stargate universe. Okay. Yeah. If, if all, if you're a huge SG one fan, that would be the Richard Dean Anderson show that ran for 10 years. Okay. Um, and, and you know, or Atlantis, Stargate Atlantis, which ran for five. And I love, I'm okay with SG one. It's had some episodes that were great, but I'm not a huge fan of SG one. I love Stargate Atlantis, Rodney and, um, Shepard, the two of them. And then you got Ronan. I mean, Stargate Atlantis is a, is a great show, but it's the, those two shows are very colorful, optimistic. They're very much like, you know, the classic Star Treks where it's, it's optimistic. Humans go out there and they use their brain power and they solve the problem and defeat the bad guy. Stargate universe is completely different from that. So I can see why people that like that aspect of the other Stargate shows don't like universe. Okay. The Stargate universe is more like Battlestar Galactica. It's dark and grim and kind of pessimistic. And it's, I said, you know, that Stargate Universe combines Space 1999, where you're on a big thing traveling through space and you can't really steer and you're encountering strange beings every episode and having to deal with it. It's combining that with um, the new Battlestar Galactica, where it's dark and it's military. So if you like serious military science fiction and you like the new Battlestar Galactica, there's only two seasons of Stargate Universe, but they are two very, very good seasons. The other thing that people don't like about it as much is that none of the characters are particularly likable, but they're real. You know, they're, they're not these cartoon paragons like on some of these shows. They are real. They have their dark sides. They have their, their um, selfishness. They scheme against each other. There are mutinies, you know. I mean, it's, you know, if you're in the mood for an optimistic, uplifting show, <laughs> don't watch Universe. But if you want something kind of serious and dark and gritty, Stargate Universe is, is well worth your time. And I have it at number nine and might have had it even higher, except that, man, we're getting into some good shows now. And I just can't push these any higher because number eight is Terriers. Now, I want to make sure I say this right. So I'm going to quickly look up because the actors are not actors that I uh, am used to seeing a lot. Okay. So let me see. Donald Logue and Michael Raymond James. That's all I needed to know. Donald Logue and Michael Raymond James. Those are the two uh, main actors. And these are guys that end up playing a lot of villains and bit parts and everything, but they got their own show for one year and it's so good. I mean, if you like 
the Rockford Files, you like Terriers, okay? It's a show about guys that are trying to be private investigators, but everything is keeping them down. And, right, that's that Rockford Files vibe. That's, that's And it never really caught on because the network didn't really understand it. They didn't know how to market it. They didn't even know how to name it because it has nothing to do with dogs. Um, but if you have a, I don't even know what channel it's on anymore. If it's even a, I mean, channel, but what streaming service or how to get it, you know, uh, I wouldn't have the slightest idea how to watch it now. But if you can find it, there's a reason it's in my top 10 at number eight. And that is, it is fun. It is fascinating. And you just love those guys. It's really, really good. Again, Rockford Files, just private investigators in California. It's a lot of fun. Okay. That was number eight. Oh, this isn't going to take long. Number seven is Stranger Things. Well, you know, uh, Stranger Things is if you like eighties, you know, the Goonies and all the eighties shows where kids, you know, the Spielberg show where the kids are running around getting into things and there's some kind of malevolent menace. Um, if you've watched Stranger Things, you know why it's in my top 10. If you haven't watched it, just understand it's a very Spielbergish slash Stephen Kingish. It's kind of like if Stephen King directed a Stephen, I mean, it's like if Steven Spielberg directed a Stephen King story that was about like the Goonies. That's kind of what it's like. Uh, but their parents and their older siblings are interesting too. So you've got the level of the little kids doing stuff, but doesn't talk down to you. And it's not patronizing with them at all. They're not annoying. Not all of them. Uh, and of course it's got 11, uh, the, um, the young lady that um, Millie Bobby Brown, who was in Godzilla King of the Monsters also recently. Um, so yeah, totally worthwhile. Can't wait for the next season. I guess season four. Uh, I don't think this show can go on forever. In fact, this might be the last season, even though it's probably making them a lot of money, but um, you know, pretty soon they're going to be grown up. It's kind of like Harry Potter. How many, you know, how long can you go before all the kids in the kids show are adults? But yeah, again, if you, if you've watched it, you know why. And if you haven't watched it, I've given you a sense of why you should absolutely check it out. Um, and it's why it's in the top 10. Number six Breaking Bad. Had to have this one in the top 10. Surprised it didn't make the top five, but it just shows you the strength of the top five. So Breaking Bad, again, it's one of these shows where most people know what it is. Walt is a, um, Brian Cranston is a high school uh, chemistry teacher and he finds out he has cancer. And he rather rather than beg people, relatives, whatever, humble himself for money, he starts cooking the finest crystal meth you can get anywhere. And he brings one of his sort of dropout former students, Jesse White, in as his assistant. And it becomes just this searing, intense drama about how these two can reconcile trying to be good people, but yet having to do really, really horrible, bad things as essentially drug lords. And it really ultimately becomes a character study that Walt, you know, there, there comes a point in the show. I think the key moment, really, the key transitional moment about halfway through the, through the series, you get to this point where Walt suddenly has the opportunity to have all the medical treatment he will ever need for free, and he rejects it because at that point, his pride is too much. He wants to do it himself. And it really, to that at that point, it has become about him showing that he can be this mighty drug kingpin. And what it does to his family, to his friends, to poor Jesse, they're all collateral damage along the way. It really shows the, 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 the great danger of hubris and the danger of, um, of thinking that, you know, that your, your 
what you want is more important than anybody else. And you're willing to do whatever you have to do to get what you want. And, and, you know, whatever sympathy we had for Walt pretty much evaporates by then. And after that, it's just watching his slow descent, knowing that there's eventually no way out. And you just wonder when he hits bottom, who's he going to take with him and what's going to happen. So it really is an amazing show. Absolutely amazing show. Uh, But it is not in my top 10. We get now to my, I mean my top five It's in my top 10. It's number six, but it's not my top five. Here goes my top five. Number five. I don't think we need the banner anymore to scroll. Number five. Justified. Oh yeah. Another Walton Goggins show. He's on here twice. The shield would have been one of my absolute favorite shows from the previous decade. I've got the, the DVDs behind me somewhere back here. You can't, you can't see them, but somewhere along my shelves back here, all the seasons of justified on DVD. Uh, I mean, uh, 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 the shield on DVD justified such a brilliant show. I love um, Timothy Oliphant and I love Walton Goggins and you get multiple seasons of them squaring off against each other. Uh, Raylan Givens in the cowboy hat and the black Lincoln town car cruising up and down the highway between Lexington and um, Harlan County. And, you know, as somebody who's from like a Harlan County type area of Alabama, but drove a lot up and down the highway to Birmingham or Atlanta or Auburn, I sympathized. I got it. I got this show. I got Raylan's uh, situation to a degree. I'm getting another drink. Okay. And, uh, and so I really, yeah. And it's, and the villains, right? Every season had that one overarching arch villain, along with certain other smaller villains and supporting characters. They were all great. The writing was fantastic. Uh, the characters were fantastic. And that second season will live forever, you know, with the Ma. Fantastic. Okay, so Justified is number five. Number four, all time, you know, number four on my list of the best TV shows of the last decade is the most recent one, I believe, in terms of premiering. Because my number four is... Any bets? Any bets? What do you think? What do you think? Ah! I've dreamed of a Boba Fett show or movie pretty much since seventh grade when we all first in, you know, 1980, when, when Boba Fett first burst on the scenes. I figured it would be a grim show about a villainous character, Bounty Hunter, but I just wanted somebody in that suit, right? I was a kid in 1980. I was 12. I was watching Boba Fett for like the three seconds he's on the screen. And I was like, man, I want his story. I want the whole Boba Fett story. I want a movie. I want TV. I started sounding like the guy in, uh, in Tomorrow Never Dies. I want TV. I want movies. I want magazines. I want books. You know, I want everything on Boba Fett. Well, when I heard that they were doing The Mandalorian, I thought, oh, okay. So John Favreau is going to do a Boba Fett show. Oh, no, no. They said it's not Boba Fett. I'm like, well, that sucks. I want a Boba Fett show. But what we got, what we got was not a Boba Fett show. It's much better because Boba Fett's a one note character. And his one note is, oh, right into the Sarlacc. No, Um, Boba Fett's a villain. Would have been boring. I I get that, Uh, depending on how it's done. The Mandalorian, though, is a much more shades of gray character what little we know about him. And that's part of the fun is we're slowly getting to know him through his actions. This, this whole, we've seen about 
I guess what six episodes now or something, six or seven episodes of of the Mandalorian. Now I, I've lost track. Um, I know that you know people are gaga about Baby Yoda slash the child. I get that, and that's great. That's fun. It makes my wife and daughters come running to the TV for five minutes every episode, and then they go away as soon as he's off the screen. <laughs> but um, the thing I like about the Mandalorian, you know, I can take or leave Baby Yoda. He's fine. He's fine. But the thing I love about Mandalorian is we're getting a Boba Fett-ish looking with the gimmicks, the gadgets and everything, but we're getting him with much more depth and it's being revealed slowly through his actions. And that's the best way to reveal character is through their actions, not through their words, not through an info dump, not through a recap, but through steady, consistent characterization and actions across multiple stories. So you get these little pulp adventures every week but in the background, you're seeing his character woven out. And I really like that. And I'm curious to see where it's all going. Plus, it's just so cool. And we get a lot of fan service, too. And that's fine. But again, that's Baby Yoda and the fan service and all that is not what I'm in it for. I'm in it for seeing a more interesting version of Boba Fett doing cool things and becoming an interesting character. And I'm getting that. And it's awesome. Boom. Okay. Well worth the price, which we're not paying anything for it. But if we were, I would happily pay it Num- for Disney+. Plus. Number three. Number three. Well, there's certainly a big show that hadn't gotten mentioned yet. And it's a show that I've done numerous podcasts about over the years with my partner, John. So I guess you know which one that is. Game of Thrones. Now, you might think, number three? What could possibly be bigger Right? What could be bigger than Game of Thrones? How could Van have anything higher than that? But I think that at the same time, if you think about it, you know why it's not number one, right? It was on track to maybe be number one, but there's there's two things. <laughs> Excuse me, just a second. Go off here for just a second. Oh, that doesn't work that way. I have no way to escape my camera. Oh my gosh. Um, well, just a sec. <laughs> a little sniffle. All right, now there's two things that hold it back. The fifth season. Which we, which John and I documented well on the sh- on the podcast. So, go back and listen to our uh, John and me talking about season five in the White Rocket podcast, and you'll see why. And because um, season five was the low point, really. And then, of course, the ending. And John and I did like two whole shows talking about the ending and what was good and what was bad. So ultimately. Um, it was a great show. It was the most epic thing ever on television, and I appreciate it, and I love it. And it's for everything that was so great about it for so much of this decade, it's number three. But for the fact that it, in certain places, let me down, it's not number one. Okay, so we've talked hours and hours about that show. I think we've, we can leave it at that. You don't want to hear more of me talking about Game of Thrones. When there are two more, we can get in here as we reach the end of our hour. Number two, this one shocks me. I can't believe it's even in my list, much less number two. But believe it or not, my number two show of the decade, there it is, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Did I think that was even going to be on the list? You. Would I have probably even watched that show without my wife kind of being interested too? No. Would I have even given it a try? If it hadn't won a bunch of Oscars, I mean, Emmys or whatever, new. If you have watched it, though, you probably know why it's so highly ranked. If you haven't watched it, watch it. Because, again, it's, 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 it's got a historical element to it that I like. It's set back in the uh, around ni- late 50s and 1960. Jewish family in New York 
um, the cat skills, you know, um, but it's got a lot of interesting gender stuff to it about the wife becoming a comedian when the husband doesn't quite make it as a comedian. The supporting cast on this show, oh, the supporting cast, Tony Shaloub as the dad, the lady that's the mom, um, even uh, Lenny Bruce, the, 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 the comedian Lenny Bruce is a recurring supporting character. He's fantastic. I just love Lenny on here. Um, it's the production values, the, the comedy, the writing. But the thing that to me stands out the most about this show and what has it up so high for me is it's fast pace. It just, you, I fall asleep on a lot of movies and TV show. I've never come close. I've never come close to falling asleep on this show because it is just bang, 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 bang. I told my wife last night, we watched the latest, uh, we're up to like season, season, the third season, episode three. We had episode three on last night. I said, when it ended, it just ends. And I'm like, oh, it's been an hour. That was it. I told her, I've never in my life watched any show that I can think of besides this one, that when it's over, I haven't even thought about the fact that it's been an hour. You know, with most shows, you're like, oh, I guess it's about over. Doesn't matter how good it is. You're like, well, you know, many times I'd watch Game of Thrones and be like, well, I bet it's about, you know, been about an hour. They're about to wrap it up here. Oh my gosh. Mrs. Meisel, I mean, Meisel, it's, you don't realize you're more than five minutes into the show and it's done. And that's the highest compliment, honestly, any show could get is that you don't notice the time passing while you're watching it because you never have a spare second on this show to notice the time passing. It is hitting you with incredibly high quality writing from incredibly effective actors at a blistering pace. Watch this show. Again, you guys, mostly you know me. <laughs> you know what I like. You've seen what other shows are on the list, but you wouldn't think I'd even have it in the top 30. And here it is at number two. And that just leaves one show. Now you got to be thinking, well, what in the world could be number one, right? What could possibly be, what could possibly be number one? Because we've said Game of Thrones. We've said The Mandalorian. We've said Justified and Breaking Bad. We've said uh, even Mrs. Maisel. What is left? What could possibly be number one? I Number one for me is a show where I dearly love the character. I already enjoyed the books tremendously. But the actor, uh-oh, hold on, oh, having a lot of audio problems. Sorry about that, gang. All right, there we go. Having a lot of audio problems. Um, the actor, I love the actor, the lead actor, and this lead actor redefined the character in the books for me. In other words, I've gone back and been rereading the books, imagining this actor, and it changes how I imagine the story. I like the character in the books better having seen this actor play the character. I like the stories in the books better having seen the actor playing this character. The number one show of the decade for me, and I'm sure this will be controversial and we can talk about it, the number one show of the decade for me from Amazon Prime, Bosch. Bosch. That's it. It's, you know, I've been shocked at some of the reviews of it because they're like, it's just another detective show. No, it's not. It's about Harry. It's a, I mean, in some ways he has more in common with Batman. I've said Bruce. Right? I've said before, Bosch is like if Bruce Wayne was a blue collar worker and not a billionaire, but still had the same personality, right? Still want to do the same things. Being being Bruce Wayne with all that money allows Bat, you know, allows Bruce Wayne to be Batman, have the technology, and do all the things he does. What if Bruce Wayne didn't have that money? but still had that incredible burning desire for justice and to help people and to stop horrible villains. He would be Bosch. He would be a cop. 
but he would put the mission of helping people ahead of all of the rules and all of the regulations and all other relationships, right? I mean, think about it. Bruce Wayne has occasional relationships, but they always end badly because for him, the mission comes first. And with Bosch, the mission comes first and his relationships are strewn out behind him in his wake in wreckage. He's Bruce Wayne without the money. He's Batman without the money. But that same burning desire for justice and that mission. And Titus Welliver is amazing as Bosch. I love Jamie Hector as his partner and um, Lance Reddick as the as the the chief and all the other supporting cast, you know, um, his daughter, Maddie. Um, but um, it's such a great show. We get just a few episodes a year. Uh, I treasure each one. I end up binge watching the whole thing in like two or three days and then wishing I hadn't and then waiting a few months and binge watching the whole thing over again. And so I've probably watched every season three times now, except for the most recent one. And they are adapting like two or three books per season, but there's plenty of books. Uh, the only thing that can make this show better at this point, the only thing that can make this show better is if they could get Michael McConaughey, I mean, Matthew McConaughey, I'm sorry, if they could get Matthew McConaughey to come on guest starring as his half-brother, the Lincoln lawyer, Mickey Haller. That would be so great. And if and if Renee Ballard shows up at some point, that would be great too. <sighs> there is a Lincoln Lawyer show coming, but I think it's going to be on a network, and so it won't really be connected to this at all, and we won't get any crossover, and that's really disappointing. Imagine if like, there was an Iron Man show on Amazon and a Captain America show on CBS, and they ran at the same time, but you knew they could never, ever meet or cross over, basically like how shows used to be back in the 70s and 80s and 90s. How disappointing would that be? That's what it feels like that we're going to have, you know, these two shows, these two characters and their own shows on at the same time. They probably won't ever be able to cross over. So, oh, well, but Bosch is number one. Uh, I'm curious to hear your, your feedback, your reaction to that. And that's going to do it. So those are my top 30 shows of the decade. Everybody, uh, let me hear your comments. Let me, uh, know what you think. And uh, if you want to give your list, your top 10 or whatever, I like to make lists. So I, you know, went all the way out to 30, but all right, the rocket's going to get out of here for another episode. We'll see you guys down the road. Thanks to all the folks that watched on the video and uh, we will see you guys down the road. Don't forget to check out the white rocket podcast and all of our other fine shows at www.plexico.net. See you later. Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.